Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. I'm jumping into this morning. Uh, our talk today, the way I want you to look at it is this talk is a primer for our series that's starting next week called Untethered. In this series, uh, our goal is to learn to create space for questions, doubts, and belief. Here's what I know. You have questions, you have doubts, and you have beliefs. You have all of those things, okay? That's not up for debate. The question is, do you have space for all of them in your life? Do you have a space where you can bring out your deepest doubts? Do you have a space that you can deep bring out your hardest questions? Is it safe to do so? And can you bring out all of your beliefs? And so we're going to have a, a discussion through this series, but we need to do some work before we jump into that, specifically around this simple idea of how God loves us and knowing and believing that we aren't just to receive God's love and know that we are loved, even though we are, right? We are to allow that love to do something inside of us, right? And so this morning, our discussion is going to be zeroing in on a story in the Bible that I think is kind of like an overarching map of this is, this is how Jesus loves humanity, right? And so this story is going to allow us to jump in and see that not only from a biblical perspective, but also what I'm hoping is you're going to find yourself in this story. We're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 5, and start. Many of us have heard this um, story before. Verse 21 says this, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Right? So pause in our story really quick. Okay. We have... A man, a very important man, by the way, but a very important man who has a very important need. His daughter is on her deathbed, and word has been kind of circulating about this guy, Jesus, that he has been healing people, and the way that he is teaching, the way that he is opening up the scriptures is different than anything we had heard before. And so wherever he went, there was a crowd, and this really important man goes to Jesus and says, I need your help, even me in my power. And, and in this culture, a person, a ruler of the synagogue would have been the most powerful person in the community. Everyone in the community would know when his daughter was sick, right? He was an important man. And so everyone laid witness. His, he was a very public man. So he grabs Jesus and Jesus goes with him. And as they're on their way, we find this woman. And we don't know a lot about her. But we know that she has some sort of ailment in her body right, that has caused her for 12 years to be bleeding. And what we know about this culture is that if you were a person that was, was bleeding in this way, right, you would have been an outcast. 
You would have been a marginalized person. In this culture, all right, not having the scientific evidence and the medical history that we know now, someone with that sort of ailment, the belief was that you had done something heinous and wrong, and so God was punishing you. Right? And so I don't want to be around that person. So this person very quickly, it says for 12 years, lived in the margins of this, of this world. And so we pick up this story as two people, a very public person and a very private person on the side, are asking for Jesus' attention. Speaking of her, it says, She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? Which, by the way, is straight up just snark, right? Just straight up, like, there's a crowd of 100 people trying to get to Jesus. Everyone's touching everyone, and the disciples are like, everyone touched you, Jesus. What are you talking about? I like when I find snark in the Bible. And he looked around to see who had done it. So we're going to Again, we're going to pause really quick. We're about to see something. We're about to see an unveiling. We have a woman who is very used to, at this point, 12 years into this, her position on the margins. And so she has mustered up the courage and the bravery to say, maybe this whole thing I've been dealing with, maybe this isn't just it for me. Maybe there's something else that could happen. I heard about this man, Jesus. Maybe if I just touch his garment, I won't won't get in anyone's way. You don't even need to see me. You don't even need to know that I exist. I'll just touch his garments, and I'll be healed, and I'll get out of the way. You know what she wanted? She wanted a drive-by healing. She, she, She wanted to come up and touch his garment and just be out of the way, but... But this, Jesus wasn't interested in this. He wasn't interested in just changing her circumstances because he sees the whole picture. See, we're not quite yet, but we're about to see an unveiling as to that wasn't her only need. Now, this word unveiling isn't one we use all the time. To unveil is to remove a covering from or to make public, okay? To unveil is to remove a covering from or to make public public. And what we know about unveiling is it brings awareness, right? When you take the facade away, when you take the curtains away, and you're able to see something um, better, you're you're more aware of it. But it doesn't mean you're all the way aware. It's only the first step. Um, In my own life, uh, my wife and I had a little bit of an unveiling, of a new awareness this last week. We found out a few months ago that we are expecting a baby, which we're very excited about. Yeah, I, listen, I'll milk this up as much as I can. <laughs> Very exciting for us, right? Which is its own unveiling, right? This is its own, like, life is going to change. Like, this is going to be different. This is a, a new experience for us. And then this last Monday, we had an ultrasound, right? And this ultrasound was supposed to tell us if this is a boy or a girl. 
And we went into this, and you go into the room, and it's really unique, and there's a screen up there, and the screen is like, I mean, I have a nine-year-old, you know, so technology's gotten a little better, and like, it's so, everything's so clear, and they, they tell you, like, we're going to start at baby's head, and we're going to me- take some measurements, and we're going to work our way down, and everything, and so, I'll be honest, those are great, but I don't understand the measurements. I just want to know, is it a boy or a girl? Like, like, can we start there? Like... <laughs> And we're doing the thing, and he says, okay, I'm going to measure the legs and the, the femur. Uh, and he does a view underneath the baby. And it's, it's amazing because you can see the bone. It's not fuzzy. You can see the bone structure and the ribs and everything. And I, there's this, like, there he is. You know, there's a, there's a little, not that I, I knew he was there, right? But I'm, on, I'm just touching her belly, hoping he'll kick me most of the time. And there he is, right? And he does the view underneath, and then he, he moves his legs and does his own little unveiling of himself, <laughs> and it's a boy, right? There he is, yes. <laughs> this, I spared you the unveiling picture, by the way. <clears throat> but this is him. This is what he looks like. This is as much as I know what he looks like, all right? Here's a really cool thing. There's more to come unveiling of not just what he looks like, but who he is. Right? I have a nine-year-old now that has plenty of personality. I know who he is, right? And it's such an interesting place to be knowing, like, he exists. And he, I already know he's beautiful. Right? I already know I love him. But I don't know much about him. Right? This, is, this, is the, this is the clearest picture I have yet of him, and it's just kind of some black and some white and some gray. This idea that uh, this was a new unveiling right, for me. So, so, for instance, I now am going to be, Lord willing, a dad of two boys. Okay? Um, as I was ecstatic about that, one of the things that hit me was I've never once allowed myself to think that I won't have a girl, right? And this is like try number two. And so I don't know, like, I don't know how many w- tries my wife will let me have, uh, <laughs> but I, it hit me actually that I, I don't know if I realize that it's actually an actual possibility that I won't like walk a daughter down the aisle. And like these are, like that's some of the unveiling. And then I thought like, yeah, but my, our son Micah now has a little brother that will, one day they'll be like adults together and have like, like be brothers and do brother things together. And just, so all these little unveilings kept happening of like, the reality was already there. It was just whether I could see it, right? And it was, so it was little bit by little bit, it was pulled back. As I process this, I, I realized that I was, I was literally sitting in between two realities. I no longer was, was, uh, a dad of just one kid. We had one on the way. And I couldn't, there's not even possible to live there anymore, right? And I'm not fully in the new space either. Recently, a couple, uh, a week or two ago, my son had a buddy over and they're jumping on a trampoline that we have. And they're getting big, nine, 10 years old. And so my trampoline was like bouncing itself as they're doing flips and everything. And I was like, we've had that for a while. We might need a new trampoline. And then I go, yeah, maybe. Maybe not, you know, Mike is nine. He might not want to jump on it for um, much more than a couple more years as he gets old and cool, you know, like everybody does. Uh, and my wife looks at me and she goes, you don't think our baby's going to want to jump on the trampoline? And I went, 
oh, I hadn't really thought of him as more than a baby yet. Like literally hadn't entertained the idea that he will one day be doing backflips too probably, right? And so this is just the unveiling and I'm realizing I'm in between these spaces of what was and what will be. Now what I found this week is that there's actually a name for that space. It's called a liminal space. A liminal space is the name between the what was and the next. It is a place of transition, waiting, and not knowing. Liminal space is where all transformation is birthed if we learn to wait and let it form us. The term liminal derives from the Latin word limens and refers to the threshold passageway between two separate spaces. If you go to leave this room today, you're going to walk out one of the doors. And if you stop in the middle of the door, right, there's a threshold right there, right? And, and realistically, you're no longer in this room or that room. You're in the middle space. Through conversation this week... It, it became clear, I'm not the only one in a space like this. That every single person here in some capacity, in some way, is moving out of an old way of seeing the world, moving out of an old situation, moving out of an old circumstance, whether by choice or not by choice. And is in this in-between space where what will be isn't quite here. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like like comfortable yet. I see it coming, but I'm, I'm in the in-between. Liminal spaces, therefore, are a unique spiritual position where human beings hate to be. Can I, amen? Like, I, can I just get the control and the, all, the, all the above already, right? Can you just give that to me now? But where the biblical God is always leading them. It is when you have left the tried and true, but have not yet been able to replace it with anything else, it is then you are finally out of the way. Here's what I know about liminal spaces. One, they're, they're confusing, right? It's confusing because I don't, I don't know where to put my hands. I don't know where to be. I'm not fully settled because I don't know. And they're disillusioning. The idea of disillusioning is separating ourselves from illusion, Right? To unveil means I remove the cover away and I see it as it is, as I'm able to. Which means the outcome is not certain. And I have to admit I'm not in control. I don't like that. I want all the guarantees up front. This is a space that God is continually leading us into. And as we continue our talk here today, I think and I hope and I pray that you will zero in on one or two that you're in and realize it's okay to give that some attention and it's okay to really invite God into that space, even if that space is filled with doubt or uncertainty or anger or frustration, right? I guess maybe, maybe my biggest hope here today is that we, we leave here with an understanding that we're all in this space, that we're, I'm not unique. My situation, my circumstance is unique, but... The actual experience isn't unique. Henry Nouwen says it like this. To wait open-endedly is an enormously radical attitude toward life. It is trusting that something will happen to us that is far beyond our 
own imaginings. It is giving up control over our future and letting God define our life. It is living with the conviction that God molds us according to God's love and not according to our fear. The spiritual life is a life in which we wait, actively present to the moment, expecting that new things will happen to us, new things that are far beyond our own imagination or prediction. That, indeed, is a very radical stance toward life in a world preoccupied with control. This is all of us. I heard from a friend this week talking about he realized as he took his sophomore, he, they have a long driveway, he was driving his sophomore to the bus down the driveway, and it hit him that this year is the year that she becomes a driver, terrifying, and this is the last year of those drives, that little moment that he has in the mornings, right? That's its own little, little space. I have another um, family and very close friends that I know that are moving away to Texas and are very excited about this adventure. And God has provided all these enough to know that this is the right step, but not all of it, right? And so she, like, they were just in this in-between place of we're trusting, but like, we're trusting, right? Like nails digging in trusting kind of thing. Another friend came up to me after the nine o'clock service today and he, he talked about that him and his wife are really processing and they're, they're moving forward with selling their house that they've lived in for 40 plus years. And just the idea of like a new way home and new neighbors and a new door and a new rhythm and a new, it's just, again, friends, this can be as small or big as you want it. We're, the reality is we're all there. This is all of us. This is all of us. We're in this in-between spaces of where we were and where we're going. Now to jump back into our story, because we're not done with that yet. Remember, we have this woman who was interested in this drive-by healing, and Jesus said, that's not how we're going to do this, which he often does in our lives, right? But we're about to figure out why. But the woman... Knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Again, whenever we're reading the Bible, we have to realize that this is a 2,000-year-old story that a lot of the context and the nuance of what was going on in the culture, we don't know. If you would have grown up in this culture... Right? as a woman, one of the ways that belonging was communicated, one of the ways that w was told to you that you're a first-class citizen, that you're one of us, that you're on the team, is that your entire life you would have been greeted and it would have said, good morning, daughter of Israel. It's good to see you, daughter of Israel. And this was a way of saying, you're with us, you're one of us, right? And this woman, right, this very private woman now, for the last 12 years of her life, has never heard that. Now, she's been sitting close enough in the margins, though she's heard other people called that, right? All she wanted was her body healed. But Jesus looks at her and says, your experience is, it's not enough. I'm not just after healing your body. So I need you to understand something. There's a difference between image and likeness. See, every single person, every single human being is created in the image of God. And because of that, every single person, even the people you really don't like, 
right? Like the people on the freeway or like Comcast people on the phone, right? Like <laughs> Verizon, whatever you want to call it, right? It can be whatever. <sighs> to even deeper people that we don't like. No matter what your experience is with their behavior, that's a person created in the image of God that deserves your respect, right? That deserves to be honored, right? But there's a difference between that and, and likeness, right? So just because you're a person created in the image of God, and by the way, you are, doesn't mean your likeness looks like him, right? But Jesus knows until, until we until we solidify this idea that she has lost, by the way, that you are equal to everyone else, right? We can't even deal with any of the likeness stuff. So, so what does he do? He says, I'm not going to do your drive-by private thing. We're going to make a public declaration. And he puts her up in front of everyone, has her share her story, by the way, right? Says he, she shared everything about it. And then the first words to her were this declaration. You can, again, you can read the Bible and miss this stuff. He says, you're the same as everyone else. You deserve love and value and respect. And by the way, everyone gets to witness this. And if you look, it will change the way you, you read the New Testament. If you stop and you look, and this is literally what Jesus does. He finds the marginalized person that somehow the Christian people have pushed to the outside and said, you're not one of us. But if you clean up your behavior, you will be one of us. And he puts his arm around them and says, actually, this is one of us. Now, we can, we can talk about the behavior. That probably needs to change or can be shifted. But there's a baseline of who we are in the image of God that everyone needs to be valued as that. And so he says, we're not going anywhere, right, until we, until we talk about this. There's a biblical idea. It's this word to behold. To behold is to gaze upon or to see something all the way through. And what Jesus knew, this woman wanted a physical healing. What Jesus knew is you need a greater healing than just a physical healing. She wanted to change in circumstances. And, and Jesus said, no, we want something deeper than that. And the invitation as we enter into these liminal spaces and as the veils are pulled away from us and we start to see reality as it is, Jesus' invitation is, will you come with me to see things as they really are, not just as you see them. Not just through your eyes, your limited eyes. I know we're, everyone in this room, like, Kessid is the tip top of, like, wisdom, right? Like, this is it. Like, this is the wisdom, the smart, like, you guys have the best eyes to see the world in the, in the entire county. That's what I heard. Someone told me that. I'm not sure if it's true. We don't have the data for that. But could it be that there's new ways I, I need to continue to, to see? Could it see that I don't see all the way through? And even though it's uncomfortable, can I trust God as he moves me and he ushers me into this place? She did not want to be there. Can we, she, did, she was comfortable in the margins, or at least as comfortable as you can be, and yet Jesus says, this is not how we're going to do this. I'm going to put you in the exact place of uncomfortable, and this is where we're going to heal you. Just a little something for you as, as you think about what God's doing in my life. Most of the time, it's through the uncomfortable. I found a video this week. I saw it a while back that I, I thought was just a really beautiful um, experience of this. It's, and it's a picture in the most uh, normal of senses of what I think the church is supposed to look like. And so what I want to do for a second, I would just want to watch this short video 
um, that I think many of you have seen before, and then we're going to talk about how, like, this is all of us, right? So check this out. Bring it up hard and bring it down fast. Hard and fast. Let's go, boy. Don't well, fall. You got to stay on your feet. Phoenix, go straight through. Back up. Back up. as we attempt to overcome things and move forward in things in our life. You know what's beautiful is he didn't know he could do it, right? I don't know, it's a little bit grainy video, but he was crying. He had crocodile tears coming down his face, right? And there was a point, if you really watch it, that like, he might quit, right? And that's exactly when his community, who, by the way, was like, if you watch, there's a bunch of different belts in there. There's people that just done this. There are people that did this a while back, kids that had done this. And then there's a sensei who knew the whole thing, knew exactly what could be done and what couldn't be done, who was like, why don't you try and put your foot here and put your foot here? You can do this. And then he kicks through that board as they're cheering him on, and the explosion happens because there's a group of overcomers who now choose to celebrate his overcoming. You know what I thought about? That there was never again a moment that he hadn't kicked through the board. There's never again a moment in which he hadn't accomplished what he thought he probably couldn't accomplish. And what helped him get there was a group, a family, of friends that saw something that he couldn't see and were willing to walk alongside him. And it, by the way, did anyone else kick the board for him? No. Did anyone grab his leg and move it for him, right, to kick the board? No. It was, I believe in you. What? I believe in you. I'll give you a little bit of advice where to put your feet. But at the end, I just believe in you, and I'm going to cheer as long as it takes for you to overcome this, right? This is, this is all of us. This is every single one of us. One of my favorite descriptions of God is as the, the divine mirror, as the one that receives us just as we are. If you think about a real mirror, some of us avoid mirrors because we're, we're like, oh, especially in the morning, like, that's what I really look like. It's like, I like the Instagram version of me, right? A, a mirror receives you just as you are. God sees you, God, see, God sees you warts and all, brokenness and all, and he receives you. No behavior modification. In Christ, we are loved and we belong. Right? 
But then this beautiful thing can happen. doesn't always, but can happen. If you'll sit in that place of I belong and I am loved and I'm not just running around this world trying to get the belonging and the love, I already have enough of it. I'm stable enough. My feet are in the right place to receive back who I really am. God receives me who I really am and he gives me back to me if I look. And then in that safe place, I can see all the little parts of me that don't look like him. And I don't have to change all of me, but it's okay to admit that like that little boy, as he gets older and, and gets more belts, he'll look back at that video and be like, that's, that's not where you put your feet, right? He'll learn greater and greater exactly what to do, right? But in this moment, he just needs to see that. He just needed a touch from the sensei, put your foot here, right? I see something that you don't see. And you need to see it all the way through. So we have the celebration in this story. This woman is healed. Everyone sees it. But if you remember, that's not how the story began, right? We have a daughter now that is restored to her status. But if you remember, there's a father with another daughter. He's standing over here to the side and he's being really patient. And as they end this interaction with this woman, it says, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Let that sink in. You had hope enough to go ask for help. This man is going to help you, and then you had this disruptor come and slowed him down. And although I'm excited for your little healing that happened, my daughter is now dead. And from a human perspective, there's nothing we can do about that. And can you, from this man who's standing over here who gets that news, that's heavy. That's heavy doesn't even do justice to what he's feeling. And his friends say, don't, don't worry about Jesus anymore. There's nothing we can do. But we know there's something that Jesus can do. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Now, as we read this now, those are comforting words. But if you're the man, that's not, those aren't comforting words. I want more of a uh, an assurance that something's going to happen. What do you mean only believe? I, I only have the evidence that I have right in front of me is that she's dead. She's not here anymore. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when, when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all aside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. Yeah. 
we see how this story ends. And one of my favorite statements is that God's never just doing one thing at a time. And so you have this really important man who, who almost everyone he interacts with, because he is the top of the pyramid in their culture, everyone to him is an employee and Jesus is no different. And so he goes to Jesus and he says, I need what you do. All right, I'm, I'm in emotion doing that, but the reality is I, I'm not interested in, in you becoming my Lord or anything like that. I have that part covered up figured out. I have these parts of my life good. I just need you compartmentally. I need your drive-by to come into my house and to heal my daughter. And again, there's this Jesus thing where he's not interested in your plans. He said, I'm, I'm not interested in just changing your circumstances. I'm interested in transformation. See, to transform is when something old falls away. It says they they were in amazement as what happens. Jesus brought, he, he ushered everyone that didn't need to be there out of the way. The parents and Jesus' disciples go in. All right? Isn't it interesting that the woman that was private got the public healing and the public man got the private healing? Why did that happen? I don't know. Probably that's what was needed. See, Jesus isn't interested in these global healings. He's for you. He's going to bring into your life what you need. And, and this is the journey. This is the rhythm. That I unveil the things that I don't see. That, that the veil is pulled away. The curtain is pulled back. And I, I begin to see deeper. But I realize in that moment, as you start to see things you haven't seen before, that's the scary liminal space that we all have to walk into, right? And that's a scary place because there's no, you can't just see where the door is to leave. You, you know how long you have to stay? As long as it takes. That's the scary part. And what we end up doing is we try to convince ourselves, I'm not here. I'm going to put a veil right back on. I'm not really here. Everything's fine. All right? No. Most is fine, but this isn't. And Jesus isn't interested in, in your veils and your masks. He's interested in your transformation. See, here's the thing. Something has to fall away. Something has to die. Col Colossians tells us that Jesus put death on display. This is, this is a global declaration that, first of all, death to you isn't death to me, says Jesus. And second of all, you used to think death was the enemy. I'm going to use it for my glory, right? I'm literally going to put it on display now, and I'm going to use it so that you can see me. And in seeing deeper and better and more holistically, you're going to allow the things, the parts of you that don't need to be there anymore, the parts of you that aren't working for you, the beliefs, the fears, the relationships, some of those need to fall away. Some of those need to die. But see, I've, we're not afraid of that. Death used to be scary. I've overcome death, said Jesus. And I'm going to, no matter who it is, I'm going to bring the transformation needed for you. Jairus says, I want a healing. Jesus says, no, we're going to have a resurrection. Because Jesus says, transformation is on my terms. I want control of that. This is how he loves us. You can change around the, the parts, but this is continually how he loves us. He brings us into a greater level of seeing. And that can take a while. We gotta pull back the veil. And I gotta be willing to, to give myself to God and give him, have him give me back to me just as I am.
And then I got to let the things that don't work for me fall away. And I have, have to ask questions like, who am I now? This woman whose identity had become the street beggar and the homeless woman has to ask this question, who am I now? This man who was important, who had all the answers, has to ask this question, who am I now? And you have to ask the question, who am I now? As you go into these spaces, we, I am hoping and I am praying, this is why we built a primer for the series that we're going to talk about, that you don't get like three to four weeks into this next series that I hope you'll all attend or at least watch online or participate in, that you don't then start to open yourself up, but that we can start right now and realize I'm, I'm here now. I, I'm in between spaces now, and whether that's the smallest space or the biggest space that deserves my attention, and I'm trusting that there's something in that. I'm here for a reason, but the only way transformation happens, friends, is something falls away. Something part of your identity, your worth, your value. In this series, you know, we're going to talk about your faith in God. Could it be that some of us grew up in church and faith communities that, had, that highlighted aspects of God that actually aren't Him? And you've always lived in a fear of this God, right? That you, you can't have certain behaviors or certain thoughts or certain, we can't do that, right? Because I might be kicked out of the team. If I do, what if there was a space that we created to talk about all those things? And here's what I've found in my own experience. That meaning comes after transformation. When I go through a hard thing, the very first thing that I want is meaning. I want why. Why is this happening right now? All right? I don't want an unveiling. All right? I definitely don't want to look at it more. I want you to, why is this happening? And what I've found, if I'll stay in it long enough and I'll allow the thing that needs to die in me to fall away, meaning comes after that. One of my very favorite New Testament verses is this map that we're talking about, this rhythm. 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. See, friends, this is all of us. For us to really make a dent and an impact into our community, for us to move from just people that are loved to people that become love, there has to be a safe place where we look at the places we aren't love. It has to be a safe place that we look at the times in our lives that we weren't loved, and we make sense of that, and we see how those are things that I carry with me, and could it be that the divine mirror wants to give you back and say, this isn't working for you anymore? I see it. Do you? And could it be that there's a community of people where that could be a safe place? So my prayer is just that we prepare our hearts for that, that you begin to invite the Holy Spirit to, to shine a light in, to see, and then... Here's the cool thing. We don't have to do it all right now. But if we just be willing to open up to, to begin that journey, let's see what God does over this next season. Amen? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord,
I want to live and move and be in a place, in a community of people that embody love. But I know that there's work to be done. I want to start by recognizing that I am loved and I so often miss that. And then I, I want, <laughs> I'm asking that you would highlight the places of me that don't look like you. Because I want to look like you because I want to love as you love. So Lord, would you, would you spur us on? Would you convict us here, Lord, to, to no longer live behind veils, to move into this liminal space of in-between and know that that's exactly where you're leading us, Lord. We trust you in that place. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.